Hello and welcome to What's the Point, the podcast where we discuss the need for arts and humanities today. I'm your host, Bryony Armstrong. We're living in a time when the arts and humanities are under threat, and I know this firsthand, having studied both English and maths at university, and now doing a PhD in English. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest to talk about what arts and humanities do for the world. If you've ever wondered, what's the point of the arts and humanities, then this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone, welcome back to What's the Point? My guest today is Sarah Turnage, who's a professional fact checker at Full Fact. Some of you may have visited their website before, but for those who haven't, Full Fact is a charity that fact checks claims made by politicians, public institutions and journalists, as well as viral online content. Sarah did an English degree at university and is now one of their independent fact checkers fighting bad information and misleading claims. Let's get into the episode. Can you tell us um, a bit about your journey from English degree through to journalism through to fact checking? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, to start with the degree, I'd love to say like I put a lot of thought into it, um, <laughs> what I was going to study, but I didn't. I just kind of, I'd always been a big reader and was kind of good at English at school. So when I realised I could could go to university um, and that was something I could do, I like was just like, I want to study English or creative writing. Um and yeah, just really fell in love with it while I was there and did a lot of creative writing and kind of film studies modules as well as sort of more traditional English studies. Um, and yeah, so I graduated in 2017. And after I graduated, I did um, work experience at a local paper in Essex, where I'm from, um, called the Thurrock Independent, which I just really enjoyed. It was very like on the ground, sort of going out and meeting people, um, which I really loved. Then I went on to work full time at the Thurrock Independent for a few months. And then I moved on to another local paper in Essex, The Echo, um, where I was yet yeah, again doing like kind of on the ground sort of reporting. Um, I then kind of wanted to move to Bristol. So I ended up getting a job at the Bristol Post. Again, that was really demanding, but a lot of fun. And I got to meet loads of really interesting people who like trusted me to tell their stories. Uh, I then moved on to HuffPost UK, um, where I was their weekend editor. I really loved that job. I had a lot of space there to write about things that I cared about. Um, and I also covered the first year of the pandemic, which was kind of a fascinating and but really scary time. And that was, I think, where I started to get more of an insight into misinformation. So kind of in the very early days, I think January 2020, I wrote a kind of like five coronavirus myths or something like that. It was headlined. And yeah, so it was basically addressing five coronavirus myths that we knew about at the time. And that was, yeah, kind of my first insight into how quickly and how damaging kind of like harmful misinformation could spread. So I ended up applying for another job at Full Fact. Um, mm. And then, yeah, with my kind of work on COVID-19 already, um, I started to see the issue of misinformation coming up again and again. Um, and yes, I just got, I was really excited by full, how Full Fact kind of counters bad information, the way like bad information can promote hate and damage health, damage people's health, and it hurts democracy as well. So I was interested in kind of figuring out a way that I could help counter that. Yeah. And now you literally are a professional fact checker, which is is crazy because you have 
the boots on the ground in like probably one of our most talked about issues at the moment, like the buzzword fake news or alternative facts, terrifying term. Um, I remember meeting you and being like, I can't believe that's literally a job. That's amazing. Um, but I'm curious to know, like considering your journey from from English to this, like how you use your humanities skills as a fact checker. So like now that you're doing this full time, how do you feel like your humanities background has kind of prepared you for doing this? I think studying humanities has yeah helped massively. And I think sometimes in fact checking when you're writing about really specialist stuff, it can feel like a bit of a disadvantage to me from a humanities background because, mm-hmm. you know, quite especially during the pandemic, we're writing a lot about science. Um, and or like if you're say the but the government's budget comes out and you want to write about economics you're thinking oh I I wish I had this background but I think Mm -hmm. studying like looking at it more widely I think studying humanities has given me kind of so much in fact checking and I think if we look at kind of the process of writing a fact check you can kind of see at every stage where like the skills you learn in humanities come through Um, so for example every morning we our team of fact checkers we kind of split up and we do what we call monitoring where we see um where we look at, so for example, one of us will look at four different, like the first five pages of four different newspapers, or someone will look at Facebook or be listening to the Today programme on Radio 4 um, and just sort of look through and see if any claims have been made that we're not sure about or we haven't heard of before that kind of raise red flags for us. And I think that really has a lot of parallels to like kind of close reading a text, you know, in English, um, which I think can feel a bit abstract, like in, you know, in English and you're maybe close reading a poem and you're like picking out symbolism or themes. Um, But it's actually really applicable to fact checking. Uh, You need to be firstly able to identify that a claim is actually checkable. So it's something, it can't just be, for example, something about, we we don't really fact check the future, for example, because that's we don't really know what's going to happen down the line. So it needs to be something identified or we can identify as checkable. Um, and then sort of also to do a close reading, sort of be able to understand a claim in context of recent events um, and also mm. identify any subtext to the claim where, I mean, people don't speak in perfect, um, like they don't say perfect sentences and perfect claims. Sometimes you could be looking at subtext and things like that. Um, so yeah the close reading element is really important there and then so yeah the next stage once you know our editors have kind of said this is what we'd like you to look at um, we get to kind of the scoping stage which is where we basically research the fact check to see what we can say definitively and then obviously that kind of brings in a lot of research skills like we're always trying to work within a short time frame so research skills are just really important being able to sort of read large quantities of information and digest them quickly understand how to find like a relevant expert and get what you need from an interview and sort of knowing the best places to find the right statistics they're all super useful and I do think that like studying humanities gives you like a really solid base for starting that work and then I guess finally just like the writing stage um I think we sort of, can sort of overlook how good a base just studying humanities can give you in terms of your writing style and writing like concisely and like with a little bit of style that makes it like readable for an audience. Um, mm. With fact checking, you're kind of often trying to explain really complicated concepts in an accessible language. Um, so having that practice of kind of distilling complex ideas or theories into a few paragraphs or a chapter 
that really helps. Yeah. Oh my God. All of my English essays at undergrad, I was constantly just trying to like cut it down so it wasn't over long and make it concise. And I, th- I think as well, like for me, studying humanities has, it, it almost gives you a lens to look at tons of different topics. So you were talking there about like, maybe sometimes you felt like you had a, you wish you had more of a background in like economics or more of a background in medicine. But I feel like in an English degree or other humanities degrees, you do tons of different modules and different topics and you get all of these books and then loads of like secondary sources and they could be on anything like English is it's everything basically just looking at tons of different topics through the lens of literature so I feel like I've definitely found that sort of like gives me a base to like you say sort of like applying those skills to different topics rather than like particularly specializing in one topic which I think sometimes a lot of STEM degrees do steer people towards yeah totally I think yeah it gives you such a I don't know I think just kind of the skills of yeah approaching each topic in kind of a similar way so you can kind of have like kind of an like more of an analytical like look at yeah look at different topics I think that's really really helpful no matter kind of what you're looking at mm-hmm, exactly um so like zooming out a little bit I guess in what ways do you think like humanities can contribute to combating bad information and fake news like whether that's the skills you learn in the classroom or like the actual research that people are doing I think to be honest, I think humanities are, are really like quite a natural place for misinformation kind of studies and to learn different mm-hmm. techniques to kind of combat misinformation I think being able to sort of think critically is kind of one of the main components of being a fact checker and that also kind of applies to journalism more widely um I think humanities kind of encourage you to question beyond you know the the fact as it were and think kind of more holistically about the topic like should we trust Mm. a claim just because a senior politician has said it for example or maybe someone else that you think we should be able to trust um and I think humanities also just encourage us to be curious about like the context of a claim and sort of Mm. any opposing viewpoints we might come across and it's really I found it's just really important to remember to kind of take those opposing views or counterpoints kind of seriously and think more widely about a claim to see if there are other interpretations that might be valid for example um claims about poverty statistics so for example mm-hmm. uh, the number of people in poverty has dropped to x or the number of people in poverty has risen to y and because poverty can be measured in like a number of different ways both could kind of technically be true at the same time but it's really important to view a claim in its context to understand like what's really being implied and i think humanities does really help in doing that because if you can contextualize something and it's like social context or political historical and have like a wider view of something you know or know where to look to sort of find that information or who you might ask Mm. that's really helpful um and Mm. I think in terms of research like the problem of misinformation is just evolving so quickly I think particularly with like the rapid development of like open AI it like does really feel like this is sorry artificial intelligence but it does feel like this is like another big moment of change um and yeah I think humanities like further research into this would slot quite neatly into different like research areas in the humanities because it affects yeah every part of our lives really 
Yeah, totally. How does um how does AI relate to like fact checking and misinformation? So for example, to be honest, I mean, a lot of what we've done is fact checks of like edited or like AI generated images. Um so I don't oh. know if you saw um yeah, so I don't know if you saw a um like a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago now, there was a viral picture of the Pope in like a big white puffer jacket that people <laughs> yeah, were sharing. I did. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and like that was AI generated and we've seen other check uh, we've seen we've done other checks on other pictures for example there was these like viral pictures that went round of AI generated sorry um pictures that went round of Prince Harry and Prince William like supposedly hugging at King, King Charles's coronation and sort of the implication of that was mm. look they've um that you know they're friends again uh everything's yeah. fine um, and those pictures were completely generated. And I think those kind of examples, they might seem a bit, at the moment, a bit silly, a bit frivolous, but you can sort of down the line see the implications of generated images in like more serious contexts. So, for example, when the Ukraine war broke out last year, all of our efforts in terms of online fact-checking basically went to that because there were so many uh, like misleading images and videos being shared. And... Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, OpenAI wasn't really around then or wasn't being kind of as widely used as it is now. Um, mm. And I can't imagine what it would have been like if, well, I can't imagine it, it's terrifying, what it would have yeah. been like if people could just generate images. Because some of them do, Some like there are tells in a picture that is AI generated, but yeah, for people just kind of casual viewers on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, that ha- really has a huge harm, huge uh, potential to be really harmful. Yeah, I can honestly totally see someone looking at open AI images in like an art history PhD one day or like some kind of like visual culture research group because like visual culture is such a huge area of research and like where else is this kind of research going to be happening except humanities departments basically? Yeah, I think it's going to open a lot of yeah really interesting questions about how we kind of interact with art. I don't know if you've seen those sort of like generative AI things where it'll be they'll so for example they'll put like Van Gogh sunflowers or something and then they'll do a gener they'll do a generative image so it's sort of outside the frame of the picture so it fills in kind of an imaginary background um, um, that was never really there in the painting and you just yeah. think like, how does that that opens some obviously it's not really my area but that opens some really interesting questions about how AI could be used in the future and what that's going to do for our perception of what we can trust online and what we can't really. Yeah, totally. It's crazy how quickly this has all changed as well. Um, And one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about sort of like the wider view of how humanities can combat information. um, I feel like this comes up quite a lot when looking at like historical research or history, but that idea of like rewriting history, quote unquote, Um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like that's kind of a term that's been weaponized quite a lot, usually by right wing people saying like, you can't just rewrite history. But I guess it's kind of occurred to me thinking about fact checking that like a lot of historians almost are fact checking in a way and like looking at the narratives that have been written and being like, actually, this is definitely not true. And uh, like, for example, a lot of like post-colonial research going on is like, uh, who actually wrote this? Um... Yeah, it just it's interesting to like think about the parallels, I guess, between like actual professional fact checking and like a lot of the research that is going on in humanities departments at the moment, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I'm something I try in my work to be quite aware of saying, you know, when we're saying something definitively, thinking about what kind of gaps there are in knowledge or gaps there are in research that could sort of down the line prove that to be like more of a presumption than we realised. I think that that can be very hard to do, especially when you're trying to like counter a claim quite quickly. But um, there's a lot of different like conflicting things to think about when you're kind of writing and researching. But I do think, yeah, it's important to keep an open mind of like what do we know, but also what don't we know and what would be useful to know um, when we're in an ideal world. Yeah, I've I've noticed that on just looking at like fact uh, full fact articles of basically just being like, well, that we can't necessarily give a definitive answer here, but this is what we do know. Um, and this is the evidence that we have. And actually, while I was looking at the website and reading those, I was like, it just threw me back to being in a GCSE English classroom. And you know, when they always say to you like point evidence explanation, and like that's drilled into us when we're doing English class when we're young. And then somehow sneakily, a lot of people like politicians kind of forget about the evidence part later. And it kind of ends up just being like, here's my point. Here's my explanation. And I'm like, the English GCSE class was teaching us some really useful stuff that then like carries on being drilled into you. Yeah, I just it was funny. It sort of like threw me back to that moment of like writing PEE down on my like English notebook. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I mean... I I never thought about it in those terms, but yeah, so much of the work we do, especially in politics, is writing to MPs or ministers or whoever and being like, okay, you made your point, you made made your explanation, but where's the evidence where, and often like, you know, we we don't hear back and we don't get supplied the evidence. And I think a lot of our campaigning work is trying to hold them, to hold politicians to a higher standard on that. And yeah, it is really interesting to think about it in that way. Yeah, yeah, I saw on the website, um, I think maybe it comes up on the homepage of like how many MPs have actually corrected themselves after Full Fact has wrote to them and sadly small numbers. Um, So it kind of caught my ear earlier that you said you'd done a lot of creative writing as well. Um, I was curious to see like if you kind of see a link between like either fact checking and the like storytelling skills or alternatively like giving false information and storytelling skills obviously like narrative strategies I think play quite a big role in presenting evidence and information whether it's via full fact or whether it's like misinformation yeah I think um situating situating in kind of a narrative context is so it's such a fundamental part of how misinformation works particularly in kind of the last few years with COVID um, and kind of what that's given rise to in the, by the way of misinformation. And I think I've personally seen, you know, it's maybe it started with people being opposed to lockdowns um, and then people being hesitant about the vaccine and kind of the online spaces in which these things are discussed can sometimes give rise to a bigger narrative about whether or not, you know, it was about population control or whether there was kind of a there's kind of a more overarching kind of more nefarious plot to um, control population that kind of COVID mm. was a cover for. Um, that's something we see very often online, and I think the the narrative is so important to that. When people, I think research has shown that people kind of turn to misinformation and like conspiracy theories really kind of flourish in an environment where there's like a lot of anxiety and uncertainty, and I think. Yeah. 
yeah, so misinformation really thrives in this kind of narrative of um, people be, being kind of faced with a lot of change or people being um, anxious about what they should do kind of in a given situation. And so it's important, I think, to understand that kind of context. And I think that's also to kind of move on from like the misinformation side of it onto how we write a fact check in a narrative context as well. That is so important. So and something we've been really focusing on um, quite recently in our work is situating all of our fact checks within kind of a wider context as well. So mm. it's no longer kind of it's kind of no longer good enough just to do the fact check and leave it at that. You know, it's we kind of want to fact check um, to make a difference and explain kind of the wider context of where this misinformation has come from and what people can do to combat it or what we're asking people in power to do to kind of stamp out this problem and yeah putting it in this wider kind of narrative of right there's misinformation um this is a huge problem we have to kind of wrestle with how can we actually do that when it feels such a difficult huge task that's really important in kind of Mm. motivating people to take action as well which is also what we want to do yeah I hadn't thought about that actually sort of like people do also have to be on board with the narrative of facts need checking um like another example I guess I was thinking of when you're talking about narratives that get portrayed in the media like I think immigration is coming up so much in pre-Brexit post-Brexit Britain and like wow the the misinformation that feeds on on different narratives in in that is just it's kind of staggering I think yeah and we've we've done um kind of in the well, been about the past couple of years I've done quite a bit of work on um how sort of the home office has used immigration statistics and not always sort of fully mm. backed them up sort of ministers using kind of unpublished statistics or um just making kind of yeah unsubstantiated claims and then not being able to provide the evidence kind of when we ask for it and we have a whole team at Full Fact who kind of once we publish a fact check, they then go on to kind of write to politicians and or newspapers or um, yeah, p- people in power, basically, and ask for their evidence or ask for correction. And yeah, I think immigration has been one area in which this has like particularly flourished and where kind of because there's so much focus on the story, I think if a minister, for example, says something, uh, all the papers or journalists will kind of report what they said, but without having the kind of the supporting evidence that they mm. that like the minister should be able to provide to say it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so these kind of this information just kind of spreads, um, and we're kind of always running behind, saying, you know, <laughs> where, where, where's the evidence for this? But by the time you get to that, you know the that that kind of claims already out there so that work has been has been a lot yeah in the last couple of years yeah yeah that seems to me to be quite like a unique I guess challenge for an organization like full fact in that it's I guess in a way I suppose like you are doing preventative work but so much of it is like reactive to stories that are already being spread on social media and via newspapers like that must be such a big challenge yeah it is it is it can feel quite overwhelming sometimes when you're, especially when you think um, you think you're done with the topic or you've just finished like a big load of work. So for example, last year um, 
we'd kind of moved past a lot of the biggest claims about vaccine misinformation or we'd addressed a lot of them and that had been a lot of our work for a long time and we I think we had like a couple of weeks of sort of thinking oh what could we do sort of proactively um or what have we sort of what are we interested in but haven't been able to write about so much because we've just been writing about the pandemic and then suddenly the Ukraine war broke out and all that misinformation just sort of flooded um the online space and it was kind of scrambling after that so it can it can feel um exhausting at times but it's um good in a way because it's constantly evolving it's like a very interesting area to work in totally totally and um thinking a bit about as well what you were saying that like part of full facts mission and being a facts checker is about sort of like getting other people on board with the narrative that things have to be checked um can you share sort of like any examples of sort of like strategies or techniques from the humanities that you think have sort of proven effective in like helping to communicate complex ideas about like debunking information to a broader audience? Yeah, I think, and it's not always sort of everyone's favorite element of studying humanities, <laughs> but I think good like sourcing and citation is so important in our work. Yeah. Um, at like full fact we're like quite um, we have a real emphasis on we're not telling people what to think we're just putting information out there that they might not have that they might want to have in order to kind of make their own decisions Um, and so I think one of the strategies from the humanities that has really helped in that is how to sort of identify like a reliable source of information and also Mm. then to find out if there are any other sources that either affirm that like first source or contradict it and then you're figuring out like well what is the truth here or are they both true on different measures and that sort of thing um we're we try well we try to be really meticulous in kind of fully sourcing everything we write so if we provide like a statistic you can we'll provide like a hyperlink so you can click and check it yourself um so as many people as possible can kind of see what we've done and i think that's really important in reaching a broad audience because we're we're not an omniscient kind of force and we <laughs> don't pretend to be and like our critics will sometimes ask you know quote unquote like who checks the fact checkers and I think our answer mm. to that would, would be like you do we provide we're kind of so careful to provide the sources and as many sources as possible um so you can make up your own mind and if you really want to you can go back and check through all our work and see if you agree with what we've done and if you don't like there are ways that people can can and do get in touch with us to let us know that and we kind of consider those um kind of like on an ongoing basis so i think yeah thinking about humanity skills i mean citing and sourcing definitely wasn't my favorite thing to do as a student (laughs) but it is so important in making sure people like as many people as possible can trust our work basically yeah wow that like just reminds me of um I did like university teaching during my PhD and marking student essays and like often if because I was marking first year essays that included like giving them pointers about how to footnote properly and what sources i.e not wikipedia um shouldn't be used and which sources can i.e usually peer-reviewed articles um and that essentially, yeah, the point of a footnote is to show you're working and let people like follow up on what you've said. And it never really occurred to me while I was marking those essays that like how applicable this skill 
is to important stuff like fact checking it's kind of cool to think about yeah and I think I think it it really is and you just kind of it yeah see I always remember it being such a such a chore and we don't I mean to be fair we don't (laughs) we're not like writing I can't even remember what the different referencing styles are we just kind of provide a link but yeah it's so important in making sure people like yeah can trust can trust our work it's such a big part of that yeah exactly you can't just use what's that meme that says it came to me in a dream (laughs) it's not an option (laughs) in a footnote (laughs) I think that's a great place to end so thank you so much for coming on to what's the point and telling us all about your work with fact checking of course thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to what's the point if you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to subscribe you can also find us on twitter at wtppod underscore and send us a dm if you want to get in touch we'll see you next time with a brand new episode